Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lustig Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me tonight is uh, Mark Cunningham. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited uh, to visit with you. Uh, our mutual friend, Ken Rosen, is the one who played matchmaker on this episode. Um, there, you've got a couple of interesting stories to share about a unique Springsteen experience. So I'm looking I forward to hearing do. that. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Um, I grew up on the Jersey shore, uh, specifically Middletown, New Jersey, uh, about 20 minutes from Rumson, 20 minutes from Asbury park. Um, born in the late sixties was a, a 70s and 80s kid. Um, my older sister was my biggest musical influence on me. She was a big Beatles fan. She was a big Billy Joel fan and also a big Bruce fan. Um, and I really, really wanted to be like her because I thought she was so cool. Uh, my family was, was a musical family. We all, we all enjoyed music uh, from my father all the way down to uh, the kids. So I'm one of six kids. Uh, set of triplets younger than me. Um, so uh, my sister is really the one who got me started on Bruce, uh, and I have her to thank for. She uh, unfortunately passed away in 1991, so she hasn't really experienced as much Bruce as I have uh, in my lifetime as she did in her lifetime. She died at, at a young age of 29. Well, first off, she's always with you um, in that land of hope and dreams. Um, the other thing is uh, this is a common theme of uh, the show um, often when my guests join me, they will talk about their siblings, um, either the and how much their siblings influence their musical taste, or every once in a while, they um, my guest was a rebel because their siblings liked a certain music, and they went an opposite just to be their own person. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, that's a big family. Um, that's, yeah. that's, that's very cool. Um, so you mentioned your f music, music was a big part of your family. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, my father was a big Sinatra fan. My father was a, a big, uh, easy listening, uh, Tony Bennett Sinatra fan. And, um, he tried his damnedest to get us to, to, to go that way. Uh, and, and as a, as a, a teenager listening to rock and roll, we were, we were fighting it. Um, but as an adult, I can certainly appreciate that kind of music. Um, my mother was a rock and roll fan, so that was great because she embraced uh, the music that we were listening to as kids. Um, but my sister was also a musician, so uh, that's, where, that's where she started with, with it all. And um, like I said, she, she, she was a rebel herself, and she, she butted heads with my father musically and also as a teenager as well. But um, like I said, she was the, the, the main influence on me and my brothers, uh, my younger brothers and myself. Was she the oldest? She was the oldest, yep. yep. It, was, it was her, my older brother, then me, and then the set of triplets younger than me. Mm -hmm. The um, It is, um, you know, the, the oldest has that um, the parents make their mistakes on that one, I, you know, or the... Um, you know, you kind of set the mold. Uh, I know right. that I, I was the oldest of, there was, I have a little brother and a little sister. 
and uh, both of them had said that, um, yeah, we got tired. Oh, you're Jesse's um, sister. Oh, you're Jesse's brother. And I was like, sorry, didn't mean to be first. It just happens. <laughs> um, by the you, time my, my young, by the time my younger brothers came through, my parents were, were kind of broken. So, yeah, uh, they got away with a lot. <laughs> yeah, just like oh, I just don't care anymore, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, right. It's the um, I think a comedian made that joke once where, you know, a first time parent, a pacifier falls on the ground. You take it, you boil it, you know, you sterilize right. it. Right. By the third or fourth kick, you just wipe it off your thing and stick it back in. Yep. Like, eh, hey, go for yep. it. <laughs> and you'll skip a beat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, you mentioned that your sister helped you discover Bruce. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, it's a, it's a funny and interesting story. Um, when she turned 18 in 1980, uh, I was 11 years old, and I was I was begging her, begging her once she got her license to take me a great adventure. And she finally relented in 1981. At that time, the, the river had come out. So uh, she popped in the river cassette on our way to Jackson, New Jersey. And I just, I, I, I asked her to turn it down because I just thought it was so loud and, and just in your face. I just didn't get into it. I had heard Hungry Heart on the radio, but listening to, to Jackson Cage and Crush on you, it just didn't. It, it was it was hurting my ears at, at that point. So as an 11 year old kid, I didn't get it. Um, but as I started to grow older, when Born in the USA came out and Dancing in the Dark was a big hit, she was all over that album. And uh, she had just gotten a job in uh, in uh, for a newspaper in, in Middletown, uh, summer of '84. So uh, with that Dancing in the Dark song on the radio, when she went to work, I used to sneak into her room and steal a Bruce albums. Uh, and listen to them, and put, put them on the turntable and listen to them, and actually sit on my desk with, with the jacket open, reading the lyrics, and my mind absolutely opened up and could not believe that music could sound like this. Um, Darlington County was the first song that really hooked me from that record. I, the, the storytelling and the guitar hook, it just got me. So I spent the summer of 84 listening to her records, and then when she came home from work, sneaking back into her room and putting them back into her, into her, her record case before she knew it. Um, but uh, without her knowing, she really created a, a, a Bruce thing. Did you? Um, some, did you ever confess to her? I did. I did finally. Yeah. Um, and and I, I I was cutting lawns at the time, so I had a little bit of cash, and I would go to Jack's Music and Red Bank and and buy vinyl. So I, I bought all the Bruce records um, and, and bought them for myself finally in, the, in that summer. Um, Bruce came to the Meadowlands, played 10 shows there. My mother wouldn't let me go. She thought I was too young at 15 years old. Uh, so my sister got tickets and went, and I was not happy about that. <laughs> but <laughs> my younger cousin went. She was two years younger than me. She went with her father to the show. So that didn't sit well with me, but my mother wouldn't let me go. But in the summer of 85, she relented. My mother relented, and she allowed us to go. But it was those were some of the hardest tickets you could ever try to get. And I, I scored, uh, my father scored two tickets to Giant Stadium. August 22nd was my first show with my sister, my first concert ever. And it was a great, great show. And we actually went to see, uh, I think it was September 1st show, the Rain Out show that year as well. So I saw two Bruce shows in 85, and it just it just blew my mind. That first show I said to her, I turned to her, my hands were, were just raw from clapping. I said, is every concert like this for every artist? And she looked at me, she said, sadly, no. 
Yeah, yeah, so, sadly, no. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, kid. I hate to disappoint you. Um, yeah, when uh, <laughs> if your your first live experience with Bruce, you're kind of getting spoiled. Yeah, and I've been spoiled for 35 years. So uh, um, that summer started all off, and from then on, it was full on diehard Bruce catching every show. And, and at one point. One point, I had a, a nice run of catching opening nights of the tour for a couple tours. Do can you say why Bruce spoke to you so much? Well, it's it's probably a common theme that that most diehards can express, but his music spoke to me. I, I couldn't believe he was expressing things that I was thinking in my fifteen-year-old brain. Mm-hmm. Um, although he and I are, are 20 years apart, he, he was singing about things that I was experiencing and, and, and emotions I was feeling, uh, you know, at, at 15 years old, I was going through the whole dating scene and, and, and listening to backstreets just touched the nerve when, when you're trying to, 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 to strike up that relationship with, with, a, with a woman, uh, with a girl at that time, uh, that, that song specifically just stood out uh, in my mind. And like I said, he was just. I've heard it often. It was a soundtrack to my life, and it was a soundtrack to many, many, many individuals' lives at that time. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, Blinded by the Light is coming out in just a couple of weeks as we record this. Uh, by the mm-hmm. time we, this will be, it'll have been out by the time this is released. And, um, you know, the first time I saw that trailer, um, he says that, something like he speaks to me. He knows yeah. what I'm thinking. That's yeah. exactly the feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it was, and and I think that's interesting. That you know the point is, you know, all of us at different ages, at different backgrounds. There's something about that music that just it it places you. It touches a part of you, and and you. Sh- you get that feeling, and and then, you know, as he said, he speaks to me. It it, it shares what I'm feeling. Um, yep. Not that I always like to preface this that seeing the number of shows you've seen is not a fair barometer of how big a fan you are, because it could depend on where you live, different circumstances. Right. But right. Um, just for the record. How many uh, shows have you gone to? Approximately 125. Um, I've probably seen him in the, in the local bars in Jersey half a dozen times, um, but 125 concerts each. Each tour from uh, the from uh, I'm sorry the Lucky Town tour up, I've seen maybe 10, 15 shows a tour. Um, some tours more. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and the, the the fun the funny story with my family is they know how big of a fan I am, and in the re- when the reunion tour was announced, I I saw a lot of shows, mm-hmm. and my mother said, "Why why are you doing this?" I said, "Mom, he hasn't played with the band in almost eighteen years or fifteen years, eleven years." I said, "You just never know when it's gonna when it's gonna end." And here we are, twenty years later, and he's still doing it. <laughs> so that argument gets watered down with every tour. Um. Yeah. It. I link it to, I didn't see my first show till 2002, just through circumstances. Okay. I lived in Dallas, um, 
you know, I got, I was, I moved to Dallas in like 86. So, um, I had no, no concept of traveling for a show. Like right. if, a, if a concert didn't come to my town, you couldn't have gone, you know, um, I know now you came like, there was probably one or two, right? I was right. lucky to live in Jersey or in New York where Jersey could be 10 shows. New York could be eight. So I was very lucky for that. And then yeah. Philly as well. And so, um, and then, you know, he, I, I remember when the reunion tour happened, I wanted to see him, but there was some kind of conflict with my son. The, the night of the show, there was something going on with my son and I, you know, did the right father thing. So when I went to that rising tour Good. in 2002, um, I, I tell everyone to use the football analogy when you play, um, and this is American football for our UK uh, and other uh, friends. Um, if you miss an extra point, it seems like you chase it the rest of the game um, right. for just, you know, like if he'd made that extra point. You know, you would only be one score or, you know, and I feel like I'm chasing concerts ever since. Like, you know, I missed right, the right. chance. And so now I'm trying to catch up. Uh, so luckily, I, I, I feel the same way about the 70s shows because I was too young and the 80, early 80s shows, you know, 84 shows. I was too young. So I'm trying to I'm trying to catch those as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things, Mark, um, and I know this is unrealistic, but um I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That's only three hours away from Houston, you know, and I, and I graduated high school in 77. So you think mm -hmm. about, you know, I, I had a car, you know, Houston's only three hours away. <laughs> I mean, I could have seen when right. he played in Houston. Now the reality was I would have been an 18, 19 year old, you know, and no way my parents would have let me like, what are you thinking about? <laughs> but I dream about right. that. Like, Oh, it, I was this close. It was this close. Oh my goodness. Yeah. To see, see him in Houston, 78 or 77. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you recently shared uh, some experiences uh, with Ken Rosen. So you have a unique experience on Bruce touring. So why don't you share a little bit about that? All right. Let me see where to start. Um, so in 2002, I was out of work, summer of 2002. I had left the job in the music industry. I had been working seven years and the, and the business closed. Um, so I was looking for work that summer and a friend of mine had just secured a job as a crew member, uh, for Bruce going out on the rising tour and the band was playing, was uh, performing, rehearsing at the, the, um, Fort Monmouth, um, in advance of the today show. And I guess Bruce's cousin Lenny was going to be out for three days or so. He was a production assistant running errands for the band. Um, so uh, I was asked by my friend if uh, he knew I was looking for work, if I was available to help that. I said, sure. Uh, he knew I was a big Bruce fan, but I had to keep that on the kind of down low. Um, so I was hired as a production assistant, just running errands for Bruce, the band, the crew, uh, which entailed the picking up food, picking up equipment, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, they, they were at Fort Mouth performing on stage there. Um, I worked three days. It was broken up uh, two days on, I think, and then three, two days off and another day on. 
Um, and I, I did everything from, you know, pick up Bruce's guitars, uh, work directly with, with, uh, Niels. Niels was one of the ones I worked with the most. He, he sent me out from the most errands and he was one of the most gracious people I've met, uh, in, in the industry. Um, I, I sat uh, and listened to Danny work on You Were Missing. He was using a little boom box with the CD and he was trying to work on his organ part. And I just sat right next to him listening to him and worked that, worked that out. I thought that was phenomenal. So, uh, at uh, one point, they... Hang on, I'm going to stop you there just sure. before you get sure. too further. Um, there is a semi-famous story that, um, at least among us Star Trek fans, that when... They were going to do Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, this was after Star Wars, and they decided, Paramount decided that, you know, they, there's money in this Star Trek franchise. And so they reached out to Star Trek fandom in the Los Angeles area. And they said, we're going to do this scene where it's at the hangar deck, and every member of the crew is going to be there. And what we thought would be really cool is if we had some fans, um, you know, be in that shot. And so mm-hmm. we're thinking, you know, and I don't remember the number, but I'll just say 250. And uh, what would you think about that? And supposedly the guy who, you know, kind of organized the fandom said – 250 is a little high, but yeah, I think for that experience, I'd pay that. And they went, no, 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 we we would pay you guys. So I just can picture you going, well, you know, um, how much is it going to cost me to do this? Like, right? right? I'm kind of unemployed right now, so I can't go too high. But um, so, yeah, I, I and absolutely. Um, when... When when you're in a professional environment, you you have to, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, be cool. You can't yep. be all fanboy, um, you know, giddy. Uh, you just gotta and go back to the sports analogy. Act like you've done this before. Like when you score a touchdown, <laughs> just hand the football to the ref and like, hey, I've done this before. While inside, you may be going. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, so, um, anyway, so I just wanted to get a, this. Go ahead. I did have a little experience working in the industry. Uh, I, in the, in the late nine, I'm sorry, early nineties, I worked at the garden state art center backstage. So uh, you had to play cool back there. Uh, working seven years in the music industry after that, I, I was introduced to people, celebrities and whatnot. You had to be cool there as well. And I knew being backstage with Bruce Springsteen's Street Band, you had to be cool. You couldn't show that you were a fan at all. Otherwise, you'd be escorted out. So uh, that was a tough, tough line to, to walk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, because they're, we're there for a purpose. Um, yep. and, and I certainly don't want you to share anything, um, you know, private or, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't want to hear if someone was a jerk, um, though it sounds like from you, everyone was really nice. Um, you were talking about, and before I cut you off, you really worked with Niels a lot? Yeah, uh, he sent me out on a lot of errands for, 
for strings and for uh, guitar pieces and that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I probably did four, four or five errands for him over the over the three days, and he was yeah. just so nice. I had met I had met him in the in the eighties at the uh, at a local hotel when I was working there. He was he was nice there as well. I, I had seen him in concert locally uh, on his own shows and met him afterwards, and he was nice there. He was just a super super nice guy. Yeah, because I guess this is his first um, trip with the Eastry band, right? This is, well, no, this is the second. Yeah, this is the second, the third, the third. Yeah. But this is, that's right. Cause they're talking about for the rising. He, um, he, with the reunion tour was the first chance he had had a place to play with little Steven. Right. Right. Um, right. the first so, time they both played together. Yeah. So I take it. You got to hear a lot of rehearsals. Well, Yes and no. I heard snippets of songs because I was in and out for those first few days. Um, yeah. One one of the highlights that really stuck out with me was uh, they sent me they wanted they needed me to go to a local restaurant. This is before uh, this is before uh, smartphones and before phones could really look mm-hmm. at the internet. So I actually had to go look at the yellow pages for a local restaurant or pizza place. And I went to a side room and Clarence walks in with the bagpipes and he's working through the uh, bagpipe um, solo or, or part for uh, into the fire and i had no problem sitting there listening to that as a fan it was so cool to hear he was again he was so nice asking me what i was doing where i was from that kind of a thing uh unfortunately i think they did that bagpipe part once in one of the rehearsals uh, at uh convention hall and i don't think it ever made the tour so i i was privy to that solo it was, pretty, it was just pretty cool that's a cool memory yeah and- it's just me and clarence in that room yeah, uh, and yes, um, you know, and what's nice then is absolutely, you know, um, especially now with phones and as Bruce says, selfie, selfie, selfies, but, you know, you get photos, <laughs> but, you know, this is just a memory in your mind where you and Clarence and this big old bagpipes and you're just hearing that, that very few people got to hear that that's really right. that's really cool yeah yeah um uh, go ahead the the vibe back the vibe during those rehearsals was just so laid back and so cool it was steven and bruce high-fiving each other laughing uh wearing you know wearing hat like wearing hats like they used to wear in the 70s those, those brim hats that was pretty cool to see um it was just a a, a good experience you know i was sent out with to pick up one of uh, a, a gentleman from from Staten Island who was uh, repairing some of Bruce's guitars, so I have four or five of Bruce's guitars in my car, bringing them back to the Fort Monmouth so so he can use them. Um, Bruce did the the I believe it was the Nightline or Dateline Nightline with Ted Koppel interview. I had to sure. drive Bruce's guitar and capo and harmonica out to Terry McGovern so Terry could bring it to Bruce's house in Colts Neck so he can do that interview. So I was involved in that. That is very slick. Um, Terry McGovern. Terry yeah. McGovern was a class act all the way. Mm. You know, I was a nobody, and they treated me like I was a somebody. It was great. Wow. So um, as much as Terry's songs means things to all of us Springsteen fans, that's got to mean something to you as, in a special yeah. way. Yep. He sure did. He, yeah. he was he was great. He was he was one of my point people. Kevin Buell was was the guy who I worked with directly most, and Kevin again was was a great guy as well. Yeah. Um. My my son believes that Kevin 
should become a Dallas Cowboy receiver because the way he catches guitars <laughs> is better than most of the Cowboys receivers catch footballs. Yep. And, uh, Bruce, and Bruce certainly tests. He certainly tests them every night. Yes, he does. Uh, that he was higher and higher. Yeah, that was one of the things when when my son he went to Oklahoma City during this river tour, you know, a few years ago. And that is the first uh-huh. time he'd seen him. And he said, yeah, you know, he, 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 we talked on the way home and, but he, that was one of the things he said. He says, man, Bruce just throws that guitar. Like he doesn't give an F and that guy like, <laughs> okay, you better catch it. And he just, he says, yep. and he does. So yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. So those those were the those were the first two days, and the third day they didn't have anything for me to do because they were running through the whole set. The only thing I needed to do on the third day was go out, go out and buy a stopwatch so they could tape the set, so they can they can time it. Um, so I sat on the side of the stage and watched the entire set for the, for that last day. What a treat! What a joy! Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure living in that area. Because 9-11 affected all of us, but I'm sure mm-hmm. living in that area at the time even more so. And to hear them songs live, um, what were your feelings as you're listening to them rehearse? Well, remember, at this point, the album hadn't come out. Right. I believe it came out the 30th. So the, the music was new to all of us. Um, I knew there was a, a, that, that, that 9-11 uh, angle to it and that uh, somberness oh. to it. Uh, was there, and you certainly could feel it uh, during the songs. But again, like the the the, the, uh, the they were so laid back and, and and enjoying themselves during this during the rehearsals, and it was it was really a different side of the band that you 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 don't get to see. They were goofing around. You know, Bruce is a is a perfectionist sort of on stage, and there is a lot of fun and goofiness in, in shows, but it was more so even on on stage, especially between he and Steven. So, Mark, one of the – Dan French has been on the show, and Dan talked about during the original River Tour in Germany was the first time he'd seen him, and it's a long story, and it's a great story, so I won't worry how to do it. But for various circumstances, he was in the um, – you know, he was in the auditorium, the venue – uh, while they were practicing, and he said, you know, he remembered watching them do the introduction to Hungry Heart multiple times while Bruce is going from one side of the venue to the other yeah. to the other. Yep. Um, how often did they start and start over? Um, was when they're doing rehearsals, is it this wasn't like a. Um, you know, a final rehearsal, this was truly in the middle of it, right? It was in the middle of it, but they were specifically, um, I think, rehearsing the, the entire show, and then they were also doing uh, songs that I guess they were going to do on the Today Show. So they were they were, they were honing in on those, those songs specifically as well. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, so that was a cool gig that, um, I mean, all three days, but especially that last day, you were like, Okay, this worked out pretty well. Um, yeah. <laughs> did, did that end your involvement, or did you get to do uh, some other things? Well, here's here's what happened. That last uh, day, uh, like I said, I sat and watched, and then I guess Bruce's cousin was coming back 
the next day they were moving everything over to convention hall. So they didn't need me. So I, I was out of the gig again. So I went back to my, my home and in the next couple of days I was looking for work and I had the today show on, uh, the TV and they were running a concert, uh, win a, win a spot on the today show bus, 35, uh, fans will win a spot on the bus, enter the trivia contest. And then they choose random. There's 16,000 entries. I was chosen as one of the 35 people. Yes, that is so cool. <laughs> so I get a call from a woman at NBC. Uh, you have to meet us at Rockefeller Plaza at 4 a.m. and take the bus down to Asbury Park. And I'm begging and pleading with her. I lived in Lincroft. I said, can I please just meet you in Asbury? She said, no, you have to get on the bus. So I took a train up to Rockefeller Plaza, got on the bus. 35 of us, Billy Bush was there uh, playing Bruce music, Bruce videos, and interviewing people. We take a bus, the bus down to Asbury Park for the convention hall uh, today's show performance. Um, we are escorted in. We have our own section cordoned off in front of the stage. So there's 35 of us standing there just by ourselves before everybody else is let in. And there's the crew walking on stage doing a double take looking at me because I just spent three days working for them. Sure, absolutely. Like, what, what are you doing here? And I say, hey, I just, I just got one of a spot on the bus. And they're all just laughing at me. That was cool. That is very cool. Um, yeah. and, and it was a you, great Bruce week. Yeah, that was a very great Bruce week. And what a great experience to to see that and, and to experience mm-hmm. that. Um, because that's, you know, um, those those were wonderful shows. And it was great to see. Everyone yep. on the Today Show, uh, cool, very cool. I was, in, I was in awe of Bruce's stamina because they were early shows, you know, and 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 we were all tired. <laughs> you know, people caught many shows, and he just kept doing show after show. It was just mm-hmm. awe inspiring what he did that week. Yeah, it is um, the the amount of energy um, that he had, and now then when you look at um, you know, he's hitting 70 this, uh, fall yep. and, um, and just three or four years ago, you know, during that last tour, you know, setting records on how long they yep. perform. Well, very yep. cool. That, so that, um, that was a great experience. Um, as a result, my, 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 my friend uh, continues and to this day still works on the tours. Um, Maybe a couple of years later, I get a phone call um, from Kevin Buell. Um, he wanted me to do some work for him. So I did some work personally for Kevin in his home. Uh, that was nice. He, again, just super gracious guy. Um, and then in 2009, I get another phone call. And this, this is the doozy. Um, again, my friend is on, on the Working on Dream Tour. Um, after the tour is done... Um, I get this phone call from Toby Scott. Um, I hear that you, you provide a certain service. Uh, we'd like to hire you to, 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 to provide the service to me, Kevin and Bruce. And I said, okay, come on down to the warehouse. So the warehouse is exactly what uh, you would think it is. It is a warehouse full of everything that is Bruce related. Wow. Um, so I spent about eight months working for Bruce Kevin and Toby going to the warehouse uh, maybe every other week. Um, and in that warehouse, the things that I saw as a Bruce fan, again, none of them knew how big of a fan I was. Right. Um, 
So in this in this case, I did have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So I do have, like I said earlier, I do have to uh, tread a little lightly. Sure, but, absolutely. Uh, I, can, I, I can tell you that I, I saw, you know, when, when you go into the warehouse, I saw all the road cases. I saw the um, the ticket booth for the Tunnel Love Tour. I saw Clarence's big chair from the Working on Dream Tour that he was sitting on stage. I saw racks and racks of rising uh, that tape, the AT tape of shows. Uh, I saw components upon components of stuff that they used on the tours. Um, it was just wonderful. Again, Toby was as gracious as could be. Um, Kevin was great. At one point, I show up and George Travis is there. And they introduced me to George, Tra- George Travis. And again, he was as nice as could be. And I was blown away because, again, I'm a nobody. And yeah. there's somebody, and they don't have they don't have to be as nice as they are to me, and they they were over, over the top nice. You know, um, it was just a wonderful experience. They they say that when you're interviewing for a job, that people will notice how you treat um, the receptionist or other people. Um, right. And the reality is, you know, you know, my parents raised me that you're nice to everyone all the time. You know, and Mm -hmm. and I was um, it's yes, sir. And no, sir. And yes, ma'am. And no, ma'am. To people that are much younger than I am. But that's how I was raised to be respectful. And it sounds like, you know, um, you just made your parents proud by behaving the right way. And it paid off for you to have a unique, you know, a wonderful experience. Yep. And Bruce really surround. I, I got the feeling that Bruce surrounds himself with people who are like himself. Yeah. Bruce is gracious in public, gracious with his fans, gracious when you meet him out in public, uh, gracious at shows. And and every individual I, I, I encountered working for Bruce and, and and the crew was exactly that. So like I said, it's been about eight or nine months doing that. Um, every, maybe twice, three times a month going into that warehouse and and, and providing the service that I provided. And just seeing, you know, just making sure I whip my head around, looking around like like a, a, a crazed fan, but just sure. rolling my eyes, looking around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there was one. There was one day where I, I showed up, and I was supposed to be working with Kevin that day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry with Toby that day, and Toby wasn't there. So Kevin said, "Mark, come on in." He had a, a, a leaf blower. He was blowing some of the dust out of the warehouse. He said, "Just pop into my office there and wait for Toby." As so I go into the office, there's Bruce's guitar. Wow. guitar. Um, I guess Bruce had Bruce had loaned it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but and he asked for it back for him to use it for the Paramount uh, DVD uh, filming. So he had it back there, and and Kevin was fine tuning it. So I'm looking down, and there's the guitar. Of course, I was so tempted to strum it, but I knew I'd probably be out of a job. Right. Yes. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, so that was a lot. That was that was interesting. That was that was a, one of the greatest experiences any Bruce fan could could have. Did you did you interact with Bruce often or no? Bruce wasn't there. Bruce wasn't there. Bruce wasn't there. So what I was doing, I was providing a service to Kevin, Toby, and Bruce. But Bruce was uh, was not present. It was just Kevin and Toby. I was working with them directly. Nothing wrong with that. That, Um, That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) So that since ended ended, and then um, Kevin actually has reached out to me over the past couple years. Uh, asking me for uh, you know advice on some things on on, on what I did for him previously, um, and then Bruce did the book tour 
in 2016 sure. in and I was able I was able to score a ticket. Um, so I last worked with with Kevin uh, in 2009. So this is 2016, and I, and I'm sneaking my way through Barnes and Noble, getting to meet Bruce. And as I'm walking up, this right before Bruce, I see Kevin Buell, and I said to my buddy, I said, "There's no way Kevin's going to remember me." So this is 2016, seven years after I worked yeah, with Bruce. Yeah, sure, absolutely. As I walk up to Kevin, I said, Kevin, I don't know if you remember me, and I, I stretched my hand out and says, Mark Cunningham, how are you? And wow. I just couldn't believe seven years later, he, I hadn't talked to him in seven years, he remembered my first and last name. Because <laughs> I, I will be honest, there are times when I'll see someone and go, I, I know we work together. I recognize your face, but I can't think of your name. And so even that would have been really nice. But for him to know you, that that's pretty special. Yeah. That's that's yeah. really that was, special. That was very cool. And yeah. since then, that was 2016. So since then, he like I said, he has reached out to me a couple times with some asking for advice on some things. So you know that that's that's cool. He still has my number. Um, yeah, that's very that's nice. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah um, that that's just wonderful. Uh, what a great story. Um, yeah. The um, did you did you think a lot about what you were going to tell Bruce in the book signing? I did. You only had a couple seconds. Yep. So I walked up to him and I said, "Thank you for the music and the inspiration." And he said, "You're welcome, brother." So I guess now we're brothers. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I've told this story hundreds of times, but um, I ended up getting a ticket to Austin. So uh, I had okay. to drive from Dallas to Austin to go to the book signing. And uh, I got up early, got in the car, I'm driving, and I am Luca Braxa on The Godfather. You know, how he kept mumbling because when he was going to go see, <laughs> like he kept saying his speech over and over again. I kept saying, yeah. you know, um, Bruce, I spent nine months this year um, looking for a job <laughs> and I listened to Better Days and Land of Hope and Dreams every day to get me through it. Thank you for that. You know, and I just kept over and over and over again that, okay, that's what I'm going to say, that's what I'm going to say. And um, I, I don't know if he heard it, but as I've said many times, I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it. Uh, right. So, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So, and yeah. who knows? Kevin's got your number, you, you know. You got they, my number. They, I, have they his, might I have need, his number. They might need some things. That's good. Yep. Well, very cool. Yep. Well, You've already talked about Backstreets meaning a lot to you. Um, are there other songs or albums that have special meaning to you? Uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town is, is my favorite, and um, I think it's just a, a, a masterpiece. Um, I, 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 I'm a, in, in all of music, I, I, I like the album cuts more than the hits. Sure. Um, so, so, you know, uh, Back in Your Arms is one of my favorite songs. Um, uh, something in the night from darkness. I, I like those, you know, this hard land. I like those ones that aren't overplayed, and sure. they have they have some meaning as well. Um, you know, I've I've toyed with the idea of calling uh, Sirius XM for uh, be be the boss, trying to think of the five songs that I'd play, and the songs I'd play are probably songs that no one no one would play. Well, uh, one plays Thunder Road and Born to Run, and <laughs> so so I have a theory about that, Mark. Um, and this is my friend, Sam, uh, Lisman. So for those of you 
playing this set lusting booze drinking game. Take a drink because I mentioned Sam. But, you know, he says when you're doing Be the Boss, of course Thunder Road means the world. Everyone, you know, you're you're yep. on a Bruce Springsteen themed station. Almost, you, you, there's a good chance that 95% of the people listening to you agree that Thunder Road is one of the greatest songs ever. So you should pick, um, you know, it, our argument, right, there's first ballot halls of fame. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the lesser known songs that mean a lot to me. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I picked... Um, when I was lucky enough to be on, I picked Linda, Let Me Be the One. Um, I did um, Better Days, um, uh, Land of Hope and Dreams, and um, I then I also did. Um, uh, God, I'm going to draw a blank. I, I did um, Dream Maybe Dream because that had kind of become that cover had been a family like we had liked that song a lot. So, you know, I picked mm-hmm. songs that not necessarily, that meant more to me than it did to just, and nothing wrong. If someone's name is Sherry, you want Sherry darling. I'm not arguing. And if, and if Thunder Road was your <laughs> wedding song, I'm not going to argue, but I'm like you, Mark. I think you, you want to pick just a few different songs that mean a lot to you. Um, yep. You've gone to a lot of shows, but is there songs that you're still chasing that you haven't heard him perform live, but you'd really like to? Yeah, I, when I got your email and that, that question was in there, I, 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 I've been racking my brain. Uh, I've been very fortunate to see almost everything he's done, everything he's played, um, even 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 the stuff from, from Lucky Town and, and Human Touch, because I saw so many shows that year. Um, I, I would really love to see a full incident, you know, and play that, that, that album start to finish. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I stupidly, stupidly had tickets for the Madison Square Garden show, I believe it was 2008 or nine, And, and I, I, I threw them back because I just couldn't afford the tickets. Yeah. Uh, and I, I should have done that. Luckily, he did the river that, that uh, at the garden that year, and, and luckily I caught the river tour. But yeah. I, I didn't see the, the wild innocent. So I'd like to see the full wild innocent. Okay. I'd like to see the full greetings. I almost took a drive to I believe it was Buffalo to see greetings, but it was just too far of a drive. Yeah. Um, for me, but I would like to see full albums like that. Yeah, that would be very cool. Uh, great. All right, so time for the Mary question. If you have not heard the podcast before. Uh, the Mary question is Jay Armstrong, who is an honors English teacher, um, covers Thunder Road every year with his um, high school seniors. They break apart mm-hmm. Thunder Road as a poem, uh, comparing it to Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. He covers the imagery, um, the uses, um, just breaks down the phone, the poem. And then at the end of the two-day lesson, he asks his students, does Mary get in the car? So, Mark, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car? At the end of Thunder Road? Yes. Yes, she does. All right. She, she knows what's, she, 
She knows what's what she knows what's good for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she knows it's a good thing. She knows she's on on the way to something good. Very nice. Good deal. Um, any final thoughts? Um, just you know, going back to my sister, she was real. Like I said, a real big influence on me. And and uh, the first show that I saw without her was a big emotional uh, night sure. for me. Uh, me and my brother. Um, you know, I, I would tip my hat to, to to the river because that was her favorite song. That's one of the songs I'd probably play on on series. Um, well, yeah, what was but, her name? Ellen. Ellen. Ellen, Ellen okay. Cunningham. Oh, nice. Yeah, she um. So, I have I have cousins and, and my brothers who were definitely influenced by her. So every every time there's a, a gathering of of my family for Bruce, uh, she's definitely with us. When when um, Bruce played the Apollo, and mm-hmm. um, I ended up um, getting serious online, um, so I wouldn't have to sit in my car, and so I listened to the show. <laughs> um, and when you know he starts going, "Are we missing anybody? Are we right. missing anybody?" And his statement, Boy. "Well, if you're here and we're here, they're here." Yeah. And I, yeah, and I believe when you're there and your family's there, she's there. Um, and so, um, and I know she's proud that you've continued that legacy. So very well. Um, cool. If someone wants to reach you, are you on any social media? Um, I guess you can get me on on Facebook. Okay. Uh, uh, that's probably about it, really. Okay, no problem. Um, yep. All right, hang tight. I'm happy while I... to share. I'm happy to share the stories. Good. All right, hang tight while I do a little uh, set lessing Bruce business. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. We do have a Facebook page, Set Lessing Bruce. I have a brand new website. That's right. I've joined the '90s. www.setlessingbruce dot com. Uh, that is a link to our Set Lusting Bruce uh, Patreon page and a new web store we have where you can buy uh, buttons or shirts. And uh, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail dot com and say you want to tell your Springsteen story because I believe every Springsteen fan has a story. And it's my goal to get as many of them on captured uh, on the show as possible. Um, Mark, I, I appreciate your coming on and sharing this, your experience. I, I'm especially touched by the story of your sister. Um, I, I I can tell in your voice how much you miss her and you you still love her and what an influence she was. And so thank you for sharing that part of yourself. Um, We're going to end with lying here in the dark. You're like an angel on my chest. Just another tramp of hearts crying tears of faithfulness. Remember all the movies, Terry, we'd go see? Trying to learn to walk like the heroes we thought we had to be. And after all this time, to find we're just like all the rest. Stranded in the park and forced to confess to hiding on the back streets. Hiding on the back streets where we swore forever, friends, on the back streets until the end.
Thank you, Mark. Thank you, listeners. Keep hope alive. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.